Real Fun DC. Conversations with culinary creators and people who eat them up. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. It is Industry Night with Nikki Nellis, and sometimes special guest star David Nellis joins me. You're not a regular. You're just a sometimes special guest star. Yes, I'm often irregular. Yes, <laughs> thank you. That's way more information than anybody needs to know, <laughs> including your wife. Uh, anyway, we want to thank you all for joining us today. I'm so excited. So now, those of you who listened to last week's show, we got to speak with the authors of The New Joy of Cooking, which was so much fun and a real roadmap through history of how Americans are cooking today. And I'm equally excited today to talk with another fantastic, uh, well-known, not just a cookbook author, but TV personality and restaurateur, Lydia Bastianich is in studio with us, <laughs> along with, what, did I say it wrong? Bastianich. Okay, Bastianich. Okay. <laughs> Would you like to do uh, well, the intro, yeah, I have Italian a feeling, speaking husband? I have a feeling that, uh, that our guest is a special treat you know you did this specially for me because i love italy and live there and all of that but i mean to just describe you mm-hmm. not as, me as a, as a celebrity not chef me. And television host hello and, no i'm talking to lydia now yes I mean, okay oh they can't see me talking to I lydia know, Hi. that's my point um, Hi, you can see Nikki. you Hi, can see how David. loose this show is. <laughs> this is Lydia Mustianich, yeah. and I'm delighted to be oh, we're here with you. To, I mean, you are you are like the north star of Italian American and Italian cooking in this country. And for for people who know your PBS show, or know you through your cookbooks, or even know you through your association with great restaurants like Del Posto or Italy and all that, you're you're it. You're like or the, your son, or your son, <laughs> true, and, and your daughter. son. But I mean, you are kind of the Babe Ruth of Italian cooking in America, aren't you? Well, th- well, if you say so, David. <laughs> I do say so. I just <laughs> thank said so. you, thank you. I'll take part of that credit. But uh, what the thing we want to know is, how did you get from there to here? Because your background is really fascinating. Well, you- I'm very rich. I, yes, I think uh, uh, last year my my memoir came out, mm-hmm. uh, My American Dream. And so I think it's best if maybe I give a little history here. Yes, I would love so that. So if Italy, you know, the boot has 20 regions. And if you go into the northeast, Friuli, Venezia, Giulia. But if you go a bit further over the uh, border, there's Istria. Istria is a little triangle of a peninsula that was Italian. Uh, after World War II, uh, Italy lost the war, and the borders went down by Trieste, and Istria and part of Dalmatia was given to the newly formed communist Yugoslavia. And But I was born in Istria, Italian, and as I was born, it went under communism. And so my, my young years, if you will, formative years, uh, I spent under Yugoslavia, but an Italian home, and it was very difficult because they didn't let us speak Italian. I was they just going to ask. They changed the language, right? They changed the language. Uh, they changed uh, our names, and uh, you couldn't practice your religion. So it was difficult. My mother was uh, a teacher, elementary school teacher. My father, a mechanic. And uh, it was difficult for them to, well, to take this new direction. Let me ask, because you, that was part of Croatia, correct? Now no, it's now Croatia. It's part of it Croatia. was Yugoslavia. But were you, I know, well, Yugoslavia was Serbia, and you, you know, it was all of that. But exactly. Were, is there a Croat language that you had to learn? Or? Uh, well, you see, when you are a borderline, because we were that, that was a borderline, because that area was under the Austro-Hungarian Empire, so it was many. You, ethnically, you, be, you were 
what you were. We were Italians at home. We spoke Italian. And that area was Italian. But being on the border, you speak more than one language. Mm -hmm. So speaking then was Yugoslavian. Now it's Croatian. Very similar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, a little German. And Italian, you're almost born in speaking and understanding those languages. That's amazing. So when your family decided to leave, I know your father stayed initially, and your family right. went. So, so my family, after, after I was 10 years old, actually, my mother had difficulties. They incarcerated my father uh, because of being a big businessman. He had two little trucks. He was a mechanic. Mm -hmm. And they decided that to move on. But they wouldn't allow us all as a family to go visit. Now, we had family on the other side of the border because the border went down. So it's sort of like the Berlin Wall, right? Like you exactly. just can't go see exactly. the other side. Now that it was going down, I was just kind of equating the situation there. Mm -hmm. It was. It was like you were separated. So my mother, my brother, and I were given the visa to go to Trieste and visit uh, my aunt. Uh, you know, as children, we didn't know the plans that my parents had. Uh, they wouldn't give uh, the whole family because they knew that the whole family... They if would everybody went... would never come back. They'd never come back. So my father, about uh, two weeks after we were there, literally escaped the border mm. and was chased, was shot at, but he made it. And we were now together in Trieste uh, without papers, without anything. So we had to make... My parents had to make a plan. And uh, the plan was that, uh, you know, since he didn't have any papers, our visas were expiring. Had we been caught, we would have been repatriated. Huh. So, so we, uh, my parents decided to go to the police and to ask for asylum, okay. political refugee. And uh, in order to do that, we were put in a camp, in a refugee camp, huh. in a political refugee camp, uh, San Saba, it is still there now as a museum. Before we were there, it was uh, a Nazi concentration camp, so it was a grim... Grim place to be. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And we stayed there for two years. Wow. Awaiting uh, uh, an opportunity. And while, while you were there, you still went to school, your parents still worked. Was there well, some semblance no, of life? In, in, in the camp, you had to stay in the camp. You can only leave the camp because... You didn't have papers, right. in so uh, we could only leave with the permit of uh, the the officials of the camp. So the permit every Sunday to go visit our families, uh, and they would cook us a meal and whatever we had that. But also, my mother, being a teacher, one of the local uh, uh, family, um, she heard that there was a teacher in the camp, and she had a, an autistic child. And she came to ask if my mother could come and stay with the child and teach him. And, and at the same time, she paid for my schooling. She said, in return, I will pay for your child's schooling. So she did that. So we would go together, my brother, my mother, and I out. She would go to work. We would go to the, to the school, which was a Canossian school. It was a school right by her house. And so we had somewhat of a continuum of education. And thank God we did, because, you know, as you look today at the situation, right. the, the immigrants' uh, children lose on the average of two years of education by the time they come out. Right, because everything is, it's just not offered at well, all. Well, along with losing their freedom. Exactly. I mean, um, and then how were you able, how were your parents able to get to the U.S.? Well, we awaited in the camp. At the time, the countries that were taking in refugees, and, you know, mind you, not so unlike what's happening today. Right. Uh, uh, there were uh, Canada, Australia, 
uh, Argentina, and the United States. What year is this about? 1968. Okay. 1958. I'm 58. Sorry. Okay. From 56 to 58, we were in camp. Mm -hmm. And in 58, uh, Dwight Eisenhower was the president. He opened immigration for uh, refugees fleeing communism. Hmm. And we were that. And we were one of the first family to be given the visa. And the family right. name was Maticchio, right? Maticchio. Yeah. Yeah. And Motic it was changed to Motica. So from Maticchio. Yeah, by the Yugoslavs, right? Mm -hmm. But you went back to it when you came to the U.S.? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Well, uh, when, because uh, in, in Italy they made those, the, 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 with the papers that we had, they continued with that. So uh, mine is as soon as I could be a U.S. citizen, mm -hmm. I became one and I changed my name to what it really was. Uh, so, right. uh, yes, Maticchio. And, um, so your family comes to New York? You started in New we York? We did, yeah. So we had nobody in New York either or in America. We didn't speak the language. Uh, but the Catholic Relief Services mm -hmm. took care of us. I think, you know, again, uh, like, not unlike now, there's organizations that, you know, take care Charity. of the charities that take care. And God bless yes. uh, the charities, people that do care and mm -hmm. that make a difference. Because certainly uh, my life was was uh, changed because of people that cared and uh, it's uh, the catholic relief services brought us here they put us in a little hotel and we would go to the social worker uh, waiting for them to find a place a job for my father mm -hmm. and a place for us to to begin our lives and ultimately they did find a, a job for my father uh, and in new jersey mm -hmm. and uh, the job was since he was a mechanic to install radios in in Chevrolet cars okay yeah so that was great he could do that you know without much interaction in the English and my mother of course uh, she couldn't teach English uh, school here so she became a seamstress and our life began in the United States that was 1958 we got well, let me jump in with a question because um, there's a great story about when you first went to work in a bakery and who's who owned the bakery but we'll hold that for a minute what about cuisine at home. In the camp, I'm sure it was whatever they could get to you. Well, yes, the whole, uh, how does my passion for food fit into all of that? Those, those formative years that uh, I was put with grandma, were, I think were very much, only in retrospect later did I realize that, but grandma was providing food for our extended family that was left behind the Iron Curtain. And she had chickens, she had ducks, we had uh, goats. Uh, I would milk the goat with her, make ricotta cheese. We had two pigs every November, the slaughter, prosciutto, sausages, <laughs> of course, the garden. Uh, we so you would... continue to eat traditional Italian? Well, but I, but I did, but I actually got involved. You know, like I would help her take the potatoes out of the ground and the potatoes were still warm. Uh, the the smell of the of the herbs, go get me rosemary, go get me this. And I kind of, you know, collected all of those flavors in, in my, I guess, into my passion. But what really I think uh, sort of solidified all that for me was when we did escape and ultimately we were in Trieste, uh, I didn't know I wasn't going to return. So I felt like I left unfinished business. I didn't say goodbye to grandma or to my friends or to my animals. And I think that food, I would cook. I would love to cook, continue what I did with grandma. And the aromas and the flavors brought me back. Mm. Brought, brought me back to that very beautiful place that was with grandma. That, was, that place was peaceful. And uh, I think that, you know, 
till this day, food is my communicator. Well, obviously, given that you have 14 cookbooks, multiple <laughs> got television a TV shows, show. and uh, you know, a James Beard Award, etc. Um, but when you did move to the United States, your parents started working, and you're in school. Are you, are you fascinated by what Americans are eating? Are you scared by what Americans are eating? How Americans are eating in the 1960s? is very different than what's available in markets today. I mean, Absolutely. when you went to the grocery store, were you, was your mother horrified? Were you horrified? Or How about we... those TV dinners? Huh? <laughs> all, all, all of the above. I have right? plenty of stories. Let me, let me begin to tell you. Yes, please. Well, we, we, uh, when we came, for me, it was very unusual. You know, we continued to cook the uh, home cuisine, the economical home cuisine of the beans, and mom would put the beans to soak in this, and she would leave a little list to this, to that, and when she would come home, she would finish, and we would have dinner. But what intrigued us when we went shopping, you know, my brother and I had to go, because kids pick up English faster, mm -hmm. the language faster. And so in choosing, in choosing what to buy, unless it was like the onions and the potatoes or whatever, whatever was in box was a challenge. A discovery. You know, we looked at the pictures. I know my mother once bought um, dog cookies, and she wanted to buy regular cookies, and we ate them. So you know, did you think Frosted Flakes had a tiger inside? <laughs> no, no well, uh, uh, you know, uh, a neighbor came over, and she offered tea and whatever, and the neighbor didn't eat them. Then we found out that they, oh, they were dog cookies. They were dog cookies. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It was a, but what I loved then, it was because, you see, as a youngster, as a teenager, you know, I was 12 when I came, you want to incorporate yourself. You want to be, so was the time. You want to look just like everybody else. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Elvis Presley and uh, the, the rock and roll music. Twi Twinkies. Sure. Uh, doodle. Your, the, the, the doodles. The Yankee, the oh, what are those called? The Yankee, Yankee doodles. doodles. Right. Yes. Uh, exactly. Those were all things Hel that I loved. Health food. Right. Yeah. Those rapper. were all the things that I loved. <laughs> and then once, and then I began to work in the bakery, as you were mentioning before, at 14, actually. I told them I was 16. All right, tell them the story. <laughs> I told them I was 16, uh, but on weekends, when there was no school, if I could uh, work in a sales school or whatever, they took me, and it was the Walker's Bakery, a German bakery. It was uh, Christopher Walker's family, and we mm -hmm. are still friends and became friends. How random is that, that you would, you would know Christopher Walker's growing up? It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. We, we, and in the summertime, with a close vacation, the mother would have me come to their, they had a summer home on, on, the, uh, on the sea, on the beach, and uh, to help her around. Mm -hmm. And then I would go and play <laughs> with so Christopher crazy. Walken. <laughs> you know, we had a neighbor that used to talk about her best friend, Sean, from England. And it turned out to be Sean Connery. And we're right. like, <laughs> except for you, we don't know anybody. Right. So. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm sure you have great friends. So when you started at the bakery, it was just a job? It was just, well, a job that, you know, sales and right. packaging. But was it something you were interested in? I was interested. Just... I ended up in the back working with the bakers. I okay. wanted to learn. Uh, on Sunday, you know, everybody was gone, the bakers and everybody was gone. And uh, if anybody needed a cake, I would go in the back and, and, and finish off the cake. So, you know, I, I, my, my, I worked with food well, mm -hmm. let's put it that way. And how did you, like, where did... The idea of opening up a restaurant really come from. How did you go from being in a bakery? I know you graduated from high school. It, it sounds like food was a part of your life in a familial way, but not as feeding other people. No, my intent was, you know, in my mind in my studies was not to be a chef. Mm -hmm. I loved cooking. I, I, commun I 
uh, you know, loved feeding people, loved eating. Uh, I did, uh, I think that that connection came when I met my husband. My husband mm -hmm. was also an immigrant from the same area, mm -hmm. but he was a young, young man, came by himself, and he was from the restaurant industry. He worked, How did you two meet? Uh, social, you know, I mean, Astoria, Queens, right. it was all about the Italians and the Germans sure. and the the weekend uh, get-togethers and the local uh, dances, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm picturing West Side Story in my head, but go ahead. <laughs> well, not alike. I actually met him in the in the cellar of one of my friends. Okay. You know, the, they would come to visit. They were from the same town. And uh, he was uh, an accordion player, so everybody liked him because mm -hmm. everybody wanted him around to... Play music. Play music and sing. And uh, But... He, he was uh, a maitre d' and he always wanted to open a restaurant. Now, while I was going to Hunter and whatever, I would work in, in restaurants as well. So my, my, my uh, in, in getting into work the front, mm -hmm. and then I would end up in the back mm -hmm. again if somebody needed a quick pasta. But, when, so, but your first restaurant that you opened, 19, Bonavilla. Yes, 1971. 1971. In Queens, was it in Queens or Astoria? Queens. Queens. Forest Hills. Forest Hills. So when you opened up that restaurant, what is the dining scene like in Forest Hills in 1971? And what kind of Italian food are you are you doing your traditional Italian food, American Italian food? What are you bringing to the table at that point? Well, I was young, another chef. Uh, mm -hmm. I had a child first, Joseph, I had already. Mm -hmm. And uh, my husband finally found this little place, nine tables, mm -hmm. and he was going to buy it. And I said, I'm going to help you in whatever way, but not in the kitchen. So we did uh, hire a chef. And, you know, you kind of do your research. And what really worked on menus was Italian-American food. Mm -hmm. And he was an Italian-American chef. And the Italian-American uh, food... It's delicious. It's still now. It's still know. delicious. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know but what? Can New I stop York, you and New ask Jersey, you to, to for people that really don't know what is the you know what are the defining differences between you know Italian true Italian cuisine and Italian American cooking? Well, Italian American cooking is is different than it is uh, an adaptation cuisine of the early em Italian immigrants. Now, the big the first big influx of Italian immigrants was at the end of the eighteen hundreds. And uh, that was basically from three regions of Italy, from Sicily, Calabria, and uh, Campania, which mm -hmm. is Naples. And so the Italian-American cuisine is rooted in those three red regional sauce. Yeah, <laughs> red sauce and garlic and so on. Uh, while, you know, um, for, for example, Vil uh, uh, Parmigiana, it was completely made different. You know, Parmigiana, Parma is up north, and veal Parmigiana means uh, a veal cutlet mm -hmm. uh, with some, a little bit of sauce, not red sauce, you know, kind of wine sauce mm -hmm. with some cheese, Parmigiano cheese, put on top and put in the oven a little bit. That's in Italy. Yeah, here. Dish. here it is breaded, tomato sauce, and mozzarella it's cheese. breaded, it's fried, it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, mozzarella Pounded into submission. <laughs> it's a lot of work. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, Italy, 20 regions... It's regional cuisine. Mm -hmm. If you go to Italy, when you go to Italy, the food is different. Yep. Right. And so that, that was kind of the difference. But at that point, we, I, I didn't know, you know how to be the chef. Mm -hmm. And everybody else was selling that kind of food. And uh, uh, we took this great chef. He was Italian-American. I realized that I needed to learn. So I went in the kitchen and became his sous chef for 10 mm -hmm. years. Wow. I worked with him. But I evolved. I knew what I didn't know. 
mm-hmm. and what I needed to, I went to, to school, I took some courses in between. We would go every year back to Italy on vacation now, and I would end up in the, uh, in the restaurants to really hone my regional squ- skills. And when I came back, alongside of him, he did his thing. I would make like polenta and venison, I would make mm-hmm. risotto, I would make yotta, all of these kind of unique uh, dishes, regional. And then not unique, yeah, not what? unique for Italy, but unique at a, that time a, in the States. But what was the last one? Yotto? Yotta. Yotta. Yotta is a, yotta is a, uh, a soup, specifically in Friuli, Venice, Giulia, and Trieste. And you know, the pasta fagioli, mm-hmm. but sure. instead of putting the pasta in there, we put sauerkraut. Ooh, oh, yeah. And it's delicious. Is that in this book? Uh, not in this book, but in some of my other books. And, uh, and so I would, uh, you know, during that, I would kind of put out a little bit of my food mm-hmm. and uh, let the customer taste. And, you know, I was testing the waters, and they loved it. Uh, in ni- by 1980, we had two restaurants. We were doing well. Mm-hmm. We sold those and ultimately uh, decided that we would go to Manhattan because already in the Forest Hills, People would come from Manhattan, the journalists. And so we, we decided that we we're going to move to Manhattan and the birth of Felidia in 1981. Mm-hmm. And I became the chef there and I cooked regional Italian food. So when you say you cooked regional Italian food when you opened, did, did you cook multiple regional Italian food? Did you cook the Italian food of your, where you grew up? How did you how did you initially integrate it in? I integrated it across the United across Italy. Mm-hmm. The the dishes that I loved that we loved, but also what I thought would be more acceptable. You know, I certainly put the risotto. Yeah, risotto di orsobuco, de ville milanese. My God, I'm so hungry. Linguine, <laughs> lamb sauce. That's you know Naples. Mm-hmm. If you go, uh, uh, rollatini di melanzane, eggplant. You go to Sicily now. Mm-hmm. So uh, pasta with broccoletti di rape. You know, with vegetables. Great. That's in Puglia. So selected across the the peninsula what I thought would be. Uh, accepted and liked by by the customers. And how were the customers' initial response? Did you have to educate them? I think uh, the American palate ever more, uh, uh, the consumer is very interested in food. Yes. And so uh, now we have all these television. I mean, well, now it's totally different. Yes. But when you first opened Felidia, was there, because people, especially in New York City, regional cuisine was not a part of the thinking. You know, like I think of um, Chinese cooking today as a great example. You know, 20, 30 years ago, there was only one kind of Chinese cooking. It's like lo mein and fried rice. You know, and exactly. now, well, now there's a thousand provinces and, you know, each one is very different. A lot of that has different to do cuisine. with the fact that after World War II, after people sort of sort of established themselves again, came back home and the war was over, there was a lot of travel, you know, was accelerated. And you could go to Napoli, you know, and then go up to Florence, and then go to Venice, and then go to Genova. Yeah, but it took and a long time to trickle in. No, I'm the saying, American but yeah, diet. by by the the late 1990s when you were first on with Julia Child, that was 98, 97, something no, like that. No, earlier. Right, it's 20 years now. Yeah. So it's, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so I mean, by then people were really, and then they would, the the boomers were sending their kids. So well, in in my case, I think what propelled the whole thing was that there was this interest and there was there was this beginning of travel, uh, but also the the uh, journalist mm-hmm. curious, uh, they came in and they, they 
they do a bit more research and began to write about it. Uh, And uh, the readers uh, entrusted themselves and their palate into uh, the the, the journalists and what they wrote. So that's when Julia Child and James Beard came in for dinner. Well, Mm -hmm. that's what I was going to ask. So uh, obviously the New York press and the other food press discovered you and they read that, and then they came in to try it out. Is that what happened? Yes, that's what happened. Is uh, I guess you know because people were coming in. You know who is this woman chef number one? Young yes, woman also, chef. Yeah, because not I, happening at that time. Yeah, exactly. There's barely any women chefs now. So exactly. So all of this was curious, uh, and, and this woman chef cooking Italian food. Mm-hmm. Now in Italy, you know, women are in the kitchen. For me, that wasn't a, a big problem. Mm-hmm. But yes, Julia Child and James Beard came, and they came several times. And her interest was the risotto. She wanted to learn how to make risotto. <laughs> she enjoyed it. She came over the house. I did a few lessons, and uh, we became friends. And she she was the one that asked me to be on her show, the Master Chef series. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, uh, encouraged uh, the producer, uh, he he said, "You know, Lydia, you're pretty good. How about a show of your so own?" So, how did that feel? I think you're a natural-born show show man woman. So, uh, I am a communicator. I love to share. I love mm-hmm. to learn. I'm curious, and then I love to share when I when I share information or when I share food. And I please others, it pleases me. Mm-hmm. I mean, PBS well, when, was like the first food network. <laughs> PBS yeah, it was, it, it, was yeah. it was. It still it is. is. I mean, they yeah. still bring, I mean, look at Patty Yenich. Yeah. I mean, yes. there's lots of people who got their start on PBS and do incredibly well. Um, you're still on public television. I am still, 20 years now. Right. So when you first started in public television, not knowing, not having a roadmap, just like you didn't have a roadmap, you know, being in the kitchen. You sort of did a lot on your own. You figured it all out. I I did. I did. So when it came to television, how did you figure out that one? Well, uh, especially after I, I mean, I would watch Julia Child and see, because I was curious, you know, Mm -hmm. what was America looking for uh, in in food? And then her style, her mannerism in teaching was uh, extraordinary because she was not concerned about the viewer seeing how much she knows or, or uh, you know, saying, oh, my God, she's, she was concerned about the viewer being able to reproduce her. And as, as I began to go on, she said, Lydia, you do for Italian food what I did for French. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, mentoring me in that direction. And that was the direction exactly that I wanted. So for me, it was simple. Actually, I simplified the food. I cooked as I did at home. And I explained. I explained along the way because I wanted them to cook. Well, I also think just like Julia, your passion comes through. It's food you're passionate about. It's stories you're eager to tell. And when you're eager to share that information, as you said, you're a communicator, people get excited. They They want to learn. It's a certain, um, you know, I had the the privilege many, many, this is 35 years ago, Mm -hmm. of spending the day with her. She came in, I was working for a store and she did an autograph party. And she was as gracious and... um, She's delightful. Friendly. I met her too. And so, and so that that comes, you know, that has to come across. She's genuine. She was mm-hmm. genuine. But it comes across with you too, because all you're trying to do is say, "This is great food. I'm going to help you 
learn how to how to cook it and enjoy it. It is, you know, when I get, uh, 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 she was genuine, she was curious, she was interested, and she wanted to share. And when I get now uh, emails back, you know, from mm -hmm. my uh, Instagram or watching my show, whatever, they write to me about, oh, last night we had a Lydia meal, uh, so delicious. <laughs> you know, I, I Lydia, they might never meet me in person, but. My flavors are in their homes, and that's Absolutely. very special for me. I mean, that, that I've touched people's lives in different ways. That's better well, than an what? autograph. When we let's take a break, and okay. when we come back, let's talk about your latest book. Okay. And uh, well, we can talk about all your books, really. But um, but we only have one hour. So. Right. Exactly. For those of you who are just joining us, uh, Felidia is an award-winning restaurant in uh, New York City, and Lydia Bastianich. Am I saying it right? You are. Don't look at okay, me. Well, he keeps, My God, it's I feel Lydia's like he's distracting me. Um, <laughs> is behind it with her family. So what I what we haven't gotten to yet, which I'd really like to, is that you open up for Lydia. It becomes this international sensation. You have 14 cookbooks. You have a television show. You travel the world. You speak. You do cooking demonstrations, book signings, and etc. But along the way, you had two kids before Felidia opened. But now they have both become a part of the business. So how did uh, Joseph and Tanya? Tanya, correct. How did they both um, become a part of uh, your little empire? Well, you know, when, when initially we had the restaurants, uh, the restaurants is, uh, a restaurant is a way of life. It's mm -hmm. not just like a job that you close the door, you go home. So the kids would come, my mother would come and help me make the pasta. The kids would come after school, we would have dinner, they would go home with grandma. And so on. So they were so they were part of this uh, uh, restaurant happening, if mm -hmm. you will. And uh, when they became teenagers or so, you know, the restaurant uh, at that time was smoking at the bar, drinking, whatever. I always used to tell them, "This is not what you want to do. You want to get go to school. Mm -hmm. You want to be get, a bond trader, right? <laughs> yeah, get exactly. It, that's you know, I'm mad. Isn't, isn't that what your son did at first? Yeah, that's, right. that's he, what did. Finance, he right? did. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. did. He did. He did. Uh, business master, my daughter, actually, she went to Georgetown, mm -hmm. uh, ended up with a PhD in art from Oxford. Now they're both with me. I love I, that. I, I, you know, I, told, I always think I, I'm, I infected them with, with this passion. But don't you feel like it's also a pendulum swing, right? I mean, they, in the beginning, they're with you. They're always with you. They see the part of your life. They pendulum swing to the other side to go have their own experiences. But at the end, they always come back to the middle, right? So that they're able to make their lives I am very, it. Yeah, I am very proud and, and happy that that, that has happened. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, in Italy, it's not so unusual to have a family family business right uh, but uh, you know it's not you have to work at it also because if you're together with family and each one has their strength and them getting together and I would have never grown as I have mm -hmm. or have 14 books my daughter is very instrumental in pulling the books together with me in the production of the of the television because we have our own production house so we produce our shows too mm -hmm. so it's there's a lot to be done and my my son the business mind and the growth of the businesses and so right, on. Because that brought you into all the other restaurants, right? Well, Except when, two he Lydia's. Started, when he started Becco, was that just him or were you behind him too? We were together. Uh, together, But it's, you know, that was his first kind of, so you have to, I think you have children, you have five yes. I heard. Mm -hmm. Do so, we ever? 
<laughs> so you have to give them their their space. Sure. Supposedly, you know, you're like a springboard. Let them. It's not easy. It's yeah. It's not easy to call. You have to. But that was our first restaurant. He he really took it, embraced it. The success was his in a sense, you know. Uh, and uh, that's what drove him uh, to go even further. But so where did, how did Italy get involved? So where, Italy, that, so there's, Italy, it's confusing because the way it was launched in the States was not actually, because there's somebody who owns it in Italy, right? Because exactly. there's a bunch over in Europe. Exactly. Is it all one owner? Yes. Okay. Well, there is, uh, Italy started uh, when it was, I think, about 15 years ago in yes. Torino. And uh, Oscar Farinetti is the brainchild. But mm-hmm. of course, there's a called Italy SRL, which is a company, investors and whatever. Uh, but I was curious to see this new, because I'm curious, as I said, and I went there for the Slow Food uh, mm-hmm. Convention in Piemonte, Torino. Mm-hmm. And I made an appointment with Oscar. I wanted him to show me what was what, was what with Italy, this phenomena. And uh, it really was, you know, this mega kind of uh, open it's space. Sort of the first food hall. But it is. But in Italy, there, I mean, like there's one in Florence in San Lorenzo that's. Right. So ultimately, uh, uh, he came to me. I liked it. We came back and he came and said, Lydia, you know, this would go good in the States. So I said, it would. So he said, would you like to be partners? So we are partners only in the Americas, North okay. and South America. Got it. And they are in Europe or whatever. That's that's that's. Them. So how many are there in the States? Well, we have New York. Too. New York. We have Boston. Right. We have L.A. Mm-hmm. We have Chicago. Mm-hmm. We have uh, there Vegas. There was talks for a while about they, one in D.C., but it didn't happen. Yeah. Yes. Well, they're still on the on the line, on okay. the line. You can have Vegas. our house. <laughs> we yeah. just opened in Toronto now, mm. and uh, the next stop is Dallas. All Excellent. right. Excellent. I get to tell this story very quickly. Okay, the Italy in New York used to be the toy building. It's still the toy building. Well, it may uh. be the toy building, but that's where Nikki and I got married in the space that's now Italy. Right yeah. in that oh, nice. Time. So you know the center uh, where the dome is above? It's, yeah, it's We beautiful. got married right underneath it. This that's is, where our wedding is. That's there. tasting room. So right. now you have exactly. To, there's yeah. a sign there that says, this is where Nikki became the happiest woman in the world. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, she's always smiling. Yeah, yeah. 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 Always I pull smiling. a string and she smiles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all called a lot of work. Um, so let's talk about your latest book because you've had this is your 14th book you've written a lot over the years a lot of them had to do with your shows uh your show excuse me and then your most recent memoir exactly um so why now why felidia now well felidia was opened in 81 mm-hmm. and so it's uh, 38 years of being a restaurant a restaurant that's vibrant that's not always only that full. that's like for a restaurant to last that long in any city, let alone New York City, I mean, restu- not restaurant. A lot of restaurants don't have a long lifespan. Ten they don't. years, twelve they years. Don't. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard to keep current. Exactly, but it's you have to work at it. And mm-hmm. I think what it is is also this um, connection that I built with the with the viewers, with the diners that keep on coming. But I think most of all is keeping it vibrant, keep keeping it uh, uh, sort of contemporary, meaningful. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, sharing beyond just maybe food and all of that, almost like a family extension. Well, there's yeah, a lot I of was, you in here. I was going to say, it has to have your person. I mean, Italian, Italian eating, whether you're at home with a family or in a restaurant, it's got to have a buzz and noise and it's got to be fun. Yeah, you can't be absolutely. Stiff and, you know. It is. You know, I have guests come in here from 71 
-hmm. the restaurants, their children and their children. And it's, it is like an extended family. So after my, my memoir, Lydia's American mm -hmm. uh, Dream, people, I noticed the interest of people in knowing about me as an individual, my history and whatever. And so I thought, well, you know, there's a lot of history behind for Lydia. The food, yes. The food is, you know, the food of, of real Italy regional home. In the restaurant, you sort of elaborated again. But in the book, we, I reverted, the chef and I, because the mm -hmm. chef, Fortunato Nicotra, he's with me now 20-somewhat years. Which uh, is also an incredible yeah. feat. But I have two people that opened Felidia with me still working there. So it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot so, of people would like to know like what your what your special sauce is on that because it's very hard to keep I people. think I think just uh connecting with people. Right. Yeah <laughs> appreciating people, maybe mm -hmm. giving them space to be themselves and uh, just making them feel that they're part of this accomplishment, which mm. they are, because, you, you know, two hands won't do it. This is teamwork. Well, I'd like to go back to something you said earlier, especially um, in the world today. When you started as a woman chef and now restaurateur, you were one of very few across the country. And while Julia Child was Julia Child, she didn't own a restaurant and she wasn't behind, she wasn't in the back of the house. So maneuvering that back then, and today, how do you, like seeing the changes? I mean, there are way more women chefs and restaurateurs today than there ever have been, mm -hmm. while there's still too few. It is a growing and people are more aware. How, how do you fit yourself into that narrative? I think that maybe uh, uh, I went into it with a passion for food. And in Italy, women are in the kitchen. So mm -hmm. for me, it wasn't all that. Even if you go to the restaurants, you see the women are in the kitchen. And the men are usually outside uh, hosting or smoking, whatever. Right. So, yeah, smoking. Yes, smoking, prancing around. You're right. And so for me, uh, it was a situation where also I was in family. My husband was there. It wasn't as bad. But as I continued and I got more involved in the restaurant industry, uh, you know, doing events, doing, uh, I realized that women, uh, the difficulties that women had. You see, the men, I think, uh, took the profession and made it their own, mm -hmm. you know? So it's a profession. For a woman, sometimes it's considered sort of something that she has to do. But I tell all the women out there, and I was one of the founders of Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, which yes. is a major organization. And you're also a member of... Uh, Laid Down This Mafia. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. involved with both right, organizations. Right. So these are important, and it's not, I felt it was not so important for a woman to have somebody to kind of uh, womanize with. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, how, what are the problems of the women? And uh, so first of all, I think that women approach, and I, whenever I speak to women groups or whatever, that women approach a lot uh, this uh, from a woman's point of view. Mm -hmm. It's a profession, it's a career. I tell them, you know, invest in yourself, get the best that you can be, be, be a pro real professional, and go out there not as a gender, but as a professional. Mm -hmm. And if you have what it takes, if your food deserves it, you will get recognition. And uh, the one thing that I still think women uh, are being really, really uh, kind of uh, neglected in is the financial department. Well, because that's, yeah, if you can't get the money, you can't exactly, open up the restaurant. Exactly, because uh, the, the, the banks, the financial institution and all that, don't have the trust that a woman could and they, they're not as willing to mm -hmm. back up, uh, to invest their money 
in a woman. And that's a, a farce if I ever heard one because I, there's some women that are, you know, just like men. Mm -hmm. You're a professional. You're capable, competent. Go out there and do it. Absolutely. Um, and I think we're seeing more women do it. And um, there's lots of people talking about it now. There's and you're people also like seeing you. more women get the money, too. It's starting to happen. Well, I mean, it's because they're making a bigger fuss. Because the women are making a bigger fight. I'm with you. I'm saying it's no, starting to happen. <laughs> Don't get mad. <laughs> this is our first fight. Well, this is mad. I'm 25 years. It out. First That's time we I'm ever saying. had a fight. Oh, boy. Um, so, in Validia, as the years, since we're almost 40 years old, how has the menu changed? How has your cooking changed? Because Americans' palates have changed. Our access to, with the Internet and cooking shows, not just yours. Well, not only but, that, but FedEx will deliver something right. from Bim Bamboo I mean, in one day. I mean, you know, day. truffles are different now. Everything, things that used to be a little more special or harder to find or never heard of, except for that one soup that my husband didn't hear of. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, how has that changed you and the restaurant? Well, at a restaurant, you have to always be attentive. Mm -hmm. First of all, on the food end, like you say, what is cooking? I go to Italy four or five times a year just I'm to do those. So jealous. I will carry your suitcase. Just to do those kind of researches, and, and, uh, uh, and then I bring it back to the chefs. I bring the chefs to Italy regularly mm. on a yearly basis to go around to kind of update themselves. Yeah. Now, uh, the rest is, of course, the services, the ambience. Uh, the, the customers today want to uh, have an experience, want mm -hmm. to be almost entertained. Uh, I don't believe in entertaining in the restaurant. But I think what they want is a piece of view, right? They want to feel like they're a part of this. Well, they, I'm, I'm, they feel comfortable in my wake, in a sense, because, you know, I lead them. I have this commitment, you know, to really, if they trust me, mm -hmm. I have a commitment to my customers and viewers and readers that they get what they expect, that they get their value, that they get more than that, that they get the experience that Lydia is by being Italian. Mm -hmm. I can bring them that. I can bring them there. And, and uh, they love that. So running a restaurant and refreshing it, all, it's, it's, it's a job. It's a full-time job. I mean, you know, the knowledge of people now in wine is growing exponentially. I mean, mm -hmm. people love so invest in a, in, a, in, a, in a wine list. I mean, a wine list that has over a thousand labels, a small restaurant like Felidia, right. that has an inventory of a million and a half. You have to have these things. You know, slowly you have them. You have the vertical of different vintages, mm -hmm. uh, of, the, of a Barolo, of a this. These are the experiences that are add-on to diners. Mm -hmm. Well, they're also, because, of, because people travel, they're also these what I would call sort of more vertical uh, winemakers, uh, people you never heard of before, like the parties in Umbria. We right. tried a, a wine yeah. knockout. Yeah, I never heard of them. Exactly. But you see, I travel. Puglia, mm -hmm. Calabria, all of these are region less now known. Now you're rubbing it in. That you <laughs> I'm telling you to go. Regions that are less known, great right. wines coming up, now with technology, you know, because those are hot regions of Italy. And wine with the grape is hot, you know, it's high alcoholic. Mm -hmm. But now they have the technology. They make the, the Primitivo. It's a wonderful varietal. Mm -hmm. It makes a great drinking wine, and it's not expensive. Right. So all of these, you know, these are things that we bring to our customers that you need to bring to your customer if you are a conscious restaurant. Well, so I think wait. you also have a more educated customer. Right? I got a question. Yeah. So what recipe for what recipe in the book did you find something completely new 
on a recent trip that, that Americans might not have ever heard of or tasted. Is there anything like that in there? Oh, I'm, I'm sure there is, you know, the different uh, uh, changes right off the bat. To, I mean, you know, like, like the Amatriciana there, you know, the Amatriciana yeah, traditional. Yeah. Uh, our chef there, he puts just a little, a little pistata in there, which is sacrilegious if you go to Rome, you know. <laughs> I mean, you, you, but it makes it, instead of having it all bacon and guanciale, a little bit of the vegetables lightens it up, mm -hmm. and people like that. So there's these little kind of touches. Well, because I do think for people who are thinking of American-Italian dining, you know, it sounds like heavy food, right? The pasta yeah. sounds heavy, the breading, all exactly. that. But classic Italian is, it's not depending on the all. region, obviously. We, By the way, look what I found. Yota. There you go. That, the soup is here. I thought you <laughs> said Yoda. Let me no, see. Yota. <laughs> Yota. So the soup is there. Yeah. But and it, is a, it is a very um, healthful, healthful and the, light way of eating. The, access, the accent on vegetables. Now, in Italy, you know, you look at a, at a, at a plate, and the protein usually represents one-third of right. the plate versus two-thirds of the vegetables. Mm -hmm. Here in America, it's still, we still proteins, protein delineate value. Yes. Sort of, you know, they judge the value for what they pay by the proteins. And yet the vegetables are sometimes even more expensive and take more care. So I, you know, I make sure that I incorporate the legumes, the vegetables, the latest vegetables that they are, you know, like the puntarella when they first came. Now they're in the last few years, but we had them way back. Uh, the the uh, uh, um, colatura di alice, you know. Mm -hmm. Collatura di Alice is something, your collatura. So collatura di Alice is like the Chinese fish uh, sauce. Sure. They make it in Italy when they put the... the so it's uh, a fermented sauce. Alice. No, it's not a fermented. Okay. Uh, when, they, when they salt the Alice, they open them up or, or a hole, and they put them in layers. They put the, the Alice, which is the anchovies, mm -hmm. salt, Alice, salvi, in a can. My grandmother used to do it, actually in a wooden little barrel, and then they pressure it down. Hmm. The salt, of course, pulls out all the liquid and dries, and it drains, and it drains down, and that is called colatura di Alice, okay. and it is used. Just like in China, you know, yeah. yeah, that's not a known Italian ingredient. It's coming, it's coming. But you see, you always, I mean, I knew of it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Colatura di Alice. Okay, mm -hmm. now, well, remember that. Now, yes. the next question is, do you ever incorporate anything that isn't sort of purely Italian? I know this is something that you gleaned from your travels, um, a, a an Asian herb or a spice yes. from India or anything yes. like that. Yes, you know, I, I, I feel very wedded to my a responsibility almost, to be in the conduit of my Italian culture to my American culture. But the chefs, you have to give them a little bit of space. To play, right. We have a salad here that is a salad of fennel, roasted fennel, fresh fennel, and Asian pear. Ooh, oh, really? Asian pear. So the crunchiness of the Asian pear with a little lemon, all that. So, you know, that's a fruit that we don't yeah. use in Italy. And, uh, and yet, you know, I... I well, yes, actually, right. the finocchio, when I first went to Italy, I had it, I just had it sautéed, I think, with butter and a little parmesan. It was so good. Yeah. I'd never even seen it in America. I'd never heard of it. I know, but and the now first time you everywhere. were in Italy was what year? When Abraham Lincoln was in the White no, House. No, I mean, I'm not saying that to be <laughs> it was mean. 1970. But, well, that's my point. Those kind of products were not readily available well, I'm saying in, the, what's, in your what's, mother's grocery what's, store then. Uh, there, there must be so many more things there that... When I opened the, uh, my first restaurant, Bonavia, in the 71, we didn't have 
uh, I didn't have the, the, the ingredients even to try to cook the regional. In 81, when we opened Felidia, the, by then the ingredients began to, to come. Well, because where there are like, I think people started to open, I grew up in New Jersey, and we were in the city a lot, but there were Italian markets opening, you had like Balducci's and places that were sort of carrying the immigrants. Products. The immigrants became a viable uh, uh, consumer. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like now you see in every ethnic kind of immigrant community, they have to have their store, right? you know, their products, because uh, a traditional uh, dish has to be made with the traditional products. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's different. Well, we have to wrap up, unfortunately. I don't want to. I know, but it's I been, want you to stay forever. It's been Great such conversation. a <laughs> delight to have you in studio. We're so excited Thank about you. your new book, Lydia. Right. Um, tell everybody where they can find it, please. Oh, they can find it on Amazon, but mm-hmm. uh, in the local uh, uh, bookstores, Barnes & Nobles, and even the small independent ones are really carrying my books they can reach me on intern uh on the instagram mm-hmm. lydia bastianich mm-hmm. uh and uh would love to to hear and see their pictures of what they if they make any dishes are successful because i read and respond there oh my god I i'm gonna that. go home and make yoga <laughs> yes. okay. no you're not but i will make it no worries okay. so use the the, the dry beans because you don't have fresh beans mm-hmm. now. soak them before the night before and then you proceed okay i will follow your instructions i assume they're exactly. fajoli right fajoli yeah. You got it. Well, so we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I know you're going on to the Smithsonian from here. Um, and uh, everybody can uh, tune in to everything that Lydia is doing. Follow her on Instagram. Of course, you can see her on TV as well. Check out her show. PBS. Uh, on PBS. PBS. As well, um, I'm sure you can YouTube it. There's plenty of social media ways to find Lydia and what she's doing. And I want to thank you all for joining David and I in studio today. We're on Industry Night. You can also check us out on Sundays live on 1500 on Foodie and the Beast. We just finished our 11th year. Of course, you can follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. I'll follow you anywhere. And Twitter. And lastly, <laughs> uh, what else did I want to say? Oh, and of course, anytime you want to know what any cookbook authors are doing or anything going on in the D.C. metro area when it comes to food and wine and fun, Check out the list, areyouonit.com, over 40,000 subscribers, and we'll tell you everything. So thanks again for joining us. Lydia, thank you for your time. Thank and everybody, you. please You have were great. Grazie. A delicious week. Prego. <laughs> Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC.